0: all inductions are not created equal and all inductions are not evil because I feel like you end up on the which side of Instagram or TikTok and it's like inductions are the devil and (gasps) you will have a c-section oh my god
1: you're listening to the mommy labor nurse podcast where you'll gain the knowledge and confidence you need to erase the unknowns of pregnancy and birth and rock the newborn days like a boss. My name is Lizel Teen. I'm a fellow mom, labor and delivery nurse, and your host. Each week on this podcast, you'll hear a mix of birth stories, expert interviews, and other fun pregnancy and birth related content. As a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast is not medical advice. Please see mommylabornurse.com slash disclaimer for more details. And now let's get into this week's episode. This week on the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, I had the chance to interview the amazing Dr. Jennifer Lincoln. She is a board-certified OB-GYN that works as an OB hospitalist, and she's also an IBCLC. In addition to her bedside work, Jennifer Lincoln is a total TikTok doc celebrity with 2.8 million followers, where in her words, she makes educational videos that are the health class you wish you had in high school. Inside of today's episode, we didn't ask an OBGYN anything. Based on questions submitted by the MLN community, we tried to cover a broad range of topics and use questions that we saw submitted frequently to make sure it would appeal to the widest audience. So without further ado, let's jump right in. Did you know that Mommy Labor Nurse has a completely free birth prep workshop? Yeah. We created it because we know that for most mamas, birth feels like the great unknown. You're going to your prenatal visits, checking things off your third trimester to-do list. Maybe your hospital bag is even packed. Yet, as your due date draws closer, feelings of anxiety, what ifs, and maybe even some fear are filling your head. Can I really do this? Yeah, I was saying that too, (laughs) especially with my first pregnancy. Take a deep breath though and grab my hand and join me for a free 45-minute mini birth class to start gaining the confidence that you deserve. When you enroll, you'll get instant access to the full birth prep workshop, guided practice sessions, plus two exclusive printables, support person tips and tricks, and 20 tough contraction tips. Very, very useful. <laughs> Sign up for free at com slash birth workshop. That's com slash birth workshop. Hi, Dr. Jennifer Lincoln. Welcome to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast. Thank you so much for being here today with me. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah, yeah. So can you start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and where you're from and who you are? Because you're somebody big, you know, oh, on the internet. <laughs> like, you know, you have a nice online presence like I do. So tell everybody all the great things that you do on the web and just, you know, anything you want to share. Yeah. Well,
0: I'm a Virgo. I like long walks <laughs> on the beach. Oh, wait,
1: know, that's that's a different. Cool. Yeah, sorry. No. It's <laughs> <Fine. laughs>
0: Now, you know, I am actually a Virgo, which (laughs) explains a lot of why I do so much, but I'm an OBGYN. I currently work as an OB hospitalist in Portland, Oregon. I work part-time. And I think that's really important to say, because I do a lot of other stuff on the internets and people often say, how do you have as much time? Probably you get this too. And I like to be really transparent that if I was working full-time, there is no way I could do all of this. But yeah, I'm on TikTok and Instagram and YouTube at Dr. Jennifer Lincoln. And I I say that my channels are like the health class you wish you had in high school. I grew up not getting any education or the bare minimum, let's say, you know, that really set me up, I think, down this path for being really passionate about wanting to advocate, especially young people, but everybody, because the young people who don't know anything about their bodies end up being the 20 and 30 and 60 year olds who don't know anything. And now more than ever, it's important that we know how to keep ourselves safe. So yeah, I am a married to a pediatrician. I'm a mom to two boys. I am a reproductive rights advocate. I wrote a book that came out last year called Let's Talk About Down There, which is basically my TikToks in book form. Yeah. Love it. And yeah, and I do, and I am a Virgo, and I do like long walks on the beach too. So
1: That's cool. That's cool. Do you live anywhere? (laughs) So wait, I have no, I'm terrible at geography, but like, where is Portland in terms of the like West Coast? Are you near the beach
0: at all? Yeah. So Portland, Oregon. So we are in the Pacific Northwest. We are about three hours South of Seattle. But the best thing about Portland is that you are an hour to Mount Hood, so if you want to do skiing and all those things, which I don't. I just like to sit there and drink the hot chocolate. But I I really enjoy hiking and we're surrounded by it. And then we're also just about an hour and a half to the coast and the beautiful Pacific Ocean, which growing up in New York, I never knew that there could be a place as beautiful as the Pacific Coast. That's
1: awesome. it's it's
0: gorgeous. It's super fun.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Well, today we are going to just be chatting. I figured I would put out a box on my story and ask my followers what they wanted to ask you. And we just have a whole slew of different different things that we're going to talk about. And I I think that's just, let's talk about a lot of different things because yeah, that's how do I do that. story questions. People just throw in random topics about, you know, what they're, what they're thinking of during pregnancy. So let's start off with this first one is about gestational hypertension and preeclampsia. And I want you to it basically the person just asked like tell me more about gestational hypertension and preeclampsia but i want you to tell me as if i'm a patient like yeah. i have no idea somebody just told me you have preeclampsia or you have gestational diabetes like what the heck even is that
0: yeah so i think you know that's exactly how i try to think of explaining these things on social media to my patients like don't assume anybody knows anything because yes you know they again maternity care in this country we're so limited and i feel like we don't do enough educating so yeah so gestational hypertension and preeclampsia the way i explain it to people is it's like somewhat different strengths of coffee it's all coffee but one is a little less strong than the other but it's really a spectrum and I say that, and I'm sure you know this too, because in recent years, we keep getting <laughs> new definitions of these things. They keep changing them. We do. Which is really frustrating, but I think we eventually will get to the point where it doesn't really matter because the management of them is, is not super different, right? Like, especially the most recent update. So what they are is it's high blood pressure in pregnancy. Both of them are high blood pressure, which is greater than 140 over 90, four hours apart, or 160 over 110, I mean, times less than that and that's after 20 weeks and not related to anything else like you know you just drank a cup of coffee or you're super anxious or you you know took a medicine that could make your blood pressure go up Mm -hmm. and the difference between gestational hypertension and preeclampsia is that with preeclampsia there's symptoms involved so you might have other things that are showing you that it's a disease that's progressed to the preeclampsia part like headaches visual changes some other symptoms and then lab changes too because we know it affects multiple organs And what I tell people is that it's something that is not uncommon. We see it in two to 8% of pregnancies because you have it. It doesn't mean that you can't have a healthy baby and a healthy, healthy patient, but it doesn't mean we need to watch you a little more closely. We might need to deliver you sooner. Mm -hmm. It's nothing, you know, it's not like you have it or you don't. It can definitely evolve from one to another, which is why we need to do some increased monitoring. And it can be a really scary diagnosis, I feel, Yeah. because to people like me who do this every day. We see preeclampsia and gestational hypertension all the time. Yeah. Like all the time. But I always have to pause and remind myself this is something completely new for the person who has it. And I, you know, you Google it and there's all this stuff out there. So I think it's really important to be able to explain. Scary. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I hate preeclampsia. I'm sure you do too, because it's very easy to define, right? Diabetes or. I don't know, colon cancer or something like that. And preeclampsia, it's like this mysterious mythical beast. There's no one test, right? It's the spectrum of symptoms and things. And oh, is the headache because of preeclampsia or something else? Like there's no one preeclampsia test. And so I'm hoping one day that will come. I mean, research is happening, but that would be cool. But yeah, it's, it's very common. And it used to be called toxemia. You might've heard that term. Yes. But yeah, the terms kind of continue to change. And so if you're like, wait, in my last pregnancy, they said this, like, you're not crazy. It's things have yeah. been evolving.
1: Yeah. So I get this question a lot from moms who are having their second or third baby. And they mm-hmm. say, I had preeclampsia with my first one. Like, yeah. am I going to get it again? Or what's my mm-hmm. risk? Or what? My, what's my plan of care? Yeah.
0: And I think that it's important to know that, yeah, your risk of recurrence is there. Mm -hmm. I've seen it quoted about 10%, but honestly, it can be higher than that. And it really depends on the flavor that you had. So, how severe was it? Like the coffee. (laughs) Right.
1: (laughs) Because I literally
0: have my coffee cup here, and that is, um, I should have said in the intro, Virgo, long walks on the beach, must have coffee in hand. (laughs) (laughs) love it. Love it. But right. So how early did you have something called help syndrome, which is like a really severe form of it. So it just depends. But what I do like is that the society of maternal fetal medicine has come out with something that is a checklist to help you decrease your risk in the future by taking something as simple as baby aspirin. And I'm sure you're seeing a lot more people on it. Oh yeah. But the idea really is that preeclampsia is a vascular disease. And taking this can help decrease your risk. And so there's a really nice checklist that you can, hopefully your provider has, but you can also Google. And if you have certain criteria, like you've had preeclampsia or other risk factors, then you would be a candidate for that. And that can decrease your risk. So it's not a guarantee, but it's definitely something that we would follow. Another website that I love, and I'm sure will come up is the Preeclampsia Foundation.
1: Yeah, I love that one.
0: I love their website, especially the one packet that they have which says you know it's for the patient and it's you know i've had preeclampsia before what do i do moving forward and it talks about how to decrease your risk in the future overall cardiac health how to communicate this to your primary care provider because it matters because your risk of cardiovascular disease and high blood pressure not when not pregnant just older is is actually remarkably higher. So it's important that you get a higher level of screening and testing and earlier screening if you've got a history of preeclampsia. And we as OBGYNs, we've notoriously not done a good job of communicating this to primary care providers once the pregnancy has ended. So I love this packet because it gives Ah. the birthing person the power to say, okay, I've got this. Here's the details. Dr. So-and-so put this in my chart. I want this to follow me forever as it should.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's very cool. You've enlightened me. I didn't know anything about that. That's great. All right. So, well, this next person asked about VBACs and I want to know, they wanted to know what your views are on VBACs and why are some doctors, OBGYNs, yeah, I guess midwives, some midwives probably mm-hmm. are against feedbacks, but mm-hmm. not not as my. I think it's more OBGYNs. Yeah. But some practitioners are against feedbacks entirely. And also she mentioned uh, maybe she or he, you know, whoever was pregnant with twins cuz she asked mm-hmm. what are your views on feedback yeah. with with a multiple pregnancy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So this question always Befuddles me, Lisa. I think because I've never not worked in a place where we don't do VBACs, which tells you the bubble that I live in, right? Of course you could have a VBAC. Like, why would you?
1: Yeah, I, same, same thing. I'm always like, I have to remember that I worked at a really big, you know, I work at a really big hospital and I have a lot of resources.
0: Right, right. But sadly, that's not the case with most of the country. And for people who don't know, VBAC is vaginal birth after cesarean. And the reason, you, this question is there is because yes, in many hospitals across the country, it's not an option. And it's not for the most part, it's not because people are like not down with them. It's because they can't safely offer them because in order to do it safely, you have to have an in-house OBGYN an in-house anesthesiologist and the ability to do an emergent delivery. And the reason is, is because of the risk of uterine rupture, which is there and Mm -hmm. probably like me you've seen them because we've done enough that you're gonna see them because the risk is about one percent so if you do enough you're gonna see them and that's the main reason people don't do it they just don't have the hospitals don't have the staffing or the 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 ability to offer that now some i feel like and i think this is left over too from just old practice patterns some people like you said might not want to offer them because they feel like you know they're not safe or it's a malpractice risk or mm. yeah it's a lot easier to schedule a C section and know when your patient mm. is than to is going to deliver than to have to be in the hospital for forty eight hours straight during a labor so so yeah so my personal view like yeah like VBACs are great for the right person it doesn't mean that every person who's had a C section. Of course, we offer it because we believe in choice, but there's a really cool calculator out there to help you kind of see where you fall in terms of potential success to help give you an informed decision. And if you just Google VBAC calculator, you'll find it. I really like that in the past year, they've taken out the racial ethnicity part of it. They realized that that was a bit racist. Let's be real.
1: Yeah. And why, like, what was the reason for that? You know?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think yeah. that what they did is they they interpreted it backwards. They were like, oh, if you are BIPOC, your risk of a or your chance of a vaginal birth is lower because of your ethnicity. But no, I think it was actually because of the care they received because mm. they're so it was sort of a chicken and the egg. So they took it out. So that's a whole other conversation <laughs> yeah. that I'm glad they did. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Same. And that
0: gives you a percentage. So for example, you know, you might decide you want a VBAC if you have a 70% chance of success as opposed to a 20% chance. But yeah, there's no cutoff and the American College of OBGYN is very clear. There's no cutoff that you have to be at to offer a C- uh, VBAC. And yes, VBACs are safe with multiple gestation. In fact, we can offer VBACs if you've had up to two C-sections after, you know, after that. And so I think it's important to know that it should be your choice. I know that it doesn't feel that way in a lot of places. If you're at a place where you have all the safety things in effect, but your doctor or your practitioner still isn't a fan of it. Well, the great news is that you get to decide to do with your body and nobody can force you on an operating table.
1: (laughs) That's right. That's right.
0: Now, my caveat is I do know of, of people who have like, labored in parking lots or come in, waited so long because they didn't want to be forced into a C-section. And again, let me make it clear. You can't be forced into a C-section. And I do believe that VBACs, they are the safest places in the hospital. So Mm -hmm. I don't want you, I don't want to say like, Oh, go ahead and just hang out in the parking lot. Like, please come in, get care. Yeah. But yet know that I hate this healthcare system and that you feel that you have to like play a game to get the care that you need because it's BS. It's, it's, yeah, it sucks. And yeah, everything has a risk, right? So if you're fully counseled informed, and there are ways that we can make it safer, then like go get your
1: feedback. Like the
0: healing from it is so much better than a C-section.
1: <laughs> it is. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I, I agree with everything you just mm-hmm. said. <laughs> And I've seen not in my in the place that I work, obviously, because we're very VBAC friendly. But I've yeah. heard of similar instances where people are like, "Okay, I'm just going to labor <laughs> in the parking lot, like you like you said, right. labor right. as long as I possibly can at home, right. and then come." And they can't, den- you know, they can't be like, right. "Okay, we're going to give you a C-section if my baby's literally coming out of me." Right. So, right. yeah, yeah, it's difficult. It's really mm-hmm. difficult mm-hmm. to navigate if you unfortunately are put in that situation because of your location or right. or what you know, your whatever. Yeah. So yeah, it's tough. I had some other thing I was gonna say about V backs, but I forgot it. So it's fine. <laughs> we'll move on to the next question. If I think of it, then oh I know what I was gonna say. I always give the advice of like people are like, how do I increase my chances for a successful V back? And I always say, first thing check out your provider. And if you have the ability to, like, you have a few providers to choose from, finding a VBAC-friendly provider and Mm -hmm. delivering at a VBAC-friendly hospital is going to be, like, such a critical tool in your toolbox. (laughs) Like, just having a care provider that is, like, supportive of your VBAC.
0: (laughs) which is so sad, right? Like, let's be real. It is. I think also if then, if you don't even have that choice, like there's only one doc in town or what have you, then get a doula, get a doula who can advocate for you. And you can sort of hand off that like worry or that person can kind of advocate on your behalf. And you can just focus on laboring because like, that's enough to focus on, right? Like during the time, (laughs) not having to worry, like to play interference, like, do I really need a C-section? Am I really progressing? Like get a doula, get somebody who can help you.
1: Yeah. I love it. Yeah. You heard it here on the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast. Dr. Jennifer Lincoln is supportive of doulas, especially with VMAX.
0: Hey, there's data to support them.
1: Like, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It is evidence-based totally. that, that a doula can help decrease your risk of a yeah. C-section. No, you're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like sometimes we, nurses as well, there's like this weird relationship between medical mm-hmm. staff and doulas, but it's really, mm-hmm. I'm sure they're, I mean, there are not so great doulas, like there are not so great, you know, practitioners, but for the most part, like we just want to work together. (laughs)
0: right? Yeah. And honestly, like, yes. Do I think that your friend, you know, who just is like, well, I'll be your doula. Like it's actually like there's training and going through rules of North America. That's great. But if you don't have access to that, you know, do what you can. But yeah, I mean, the nurses I work with when we have like a doula, who's also like that takes work off their hands. It's like an extra set of hands. It's somebody oh, who's yeah. in your corner. Like oh, yeah. we all love that because we need all the help we can get
1: sometimes. <laughs> oh yeah. That's 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 right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. So this next question is about something. This person asked, what are signs to watch out for that something might be wrong after I give birth? Mm-hmm. Like in the hospital or going home or I would say going home. So mm-hmm. yeah. for some reason like let's say you're bleeding too much yeah, or you have yeah. this really crazy headache or something like what right. are some signs that I just I need to call my doctor so I always I always
0: preface this and this is always part of my discharge instructions which are I want you to call me or you know whoever because there's always somebody on 24 7 if yeah. your spidey senses are telling you something's not right and there's really no stupid questions like And, you know, then I joke, I'm like, I'm sure there is a stupid question. Like, what should I have for dinner? But, you know, I, if you are worried, something doesn't feel right. Like, you know, your body best. So that's the caveat before any of the official instructions, which of course I go over. And those are things like you mentioned, like bleeding, that's too heavy soaking through a pad an hour for two hours straight, or you're bleeding so much. You feel dizzy or weak, you know, large clots that are concerning you pain, not controlled by regular medications, any issues with your breasts, like any, swelling or hardness or you know any issues that you might be concerned you have mastitis those preeclampsia symptoms that we mentioned too like those headaches and blurry vision pain where your liver is chest pain shortness of breath i feel like that's one that we are like oh that doesn't happen but how many times have we seen in the news that yeah things like deep vein thrombosis and pulmonary embolism, which yes. thankfully they're rare, but they're emergencies and you have to know the signs. Yeah, It's important. And I always wrap it up with saying that the number one complication of childbirth is not anything that we've talked about or we've screened about so far, even though we're like totally obsessed with preeclampsia, but it's postpartum depression and anxiety. Yes. And it's not just in the person who gave birth, but it's in the partner as well. And that's when I usually look at them. I'm like, this is for you too. Yeah. And I talk about a term that I learned from a psychiatrist that I love, which is the concept of sticky thoughts. So it's normal to go home and be like, they sent me home with a living human and I'm supposed to keep it alive. Like, yeah. yes, we've all been there. We've all awoken in a panic and go, oh my goodness, this is my baby breathing. But if your thoughts are sticky and you can't sleep because of them, you can't feed yourself because of them. You are so, you know, either just so dead set focused on having to watch your baby sleep, or you're so disconnected and you feel like you are just watching yourself go, you know, and the things are going by and you're not really part of the story. And I always make the joke, like it's normal for us to want to throw our partners out of the window, but if we're actually taking measurements and (laughs) figuring out how we can push them out the window, that's one step too far. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I shouldn't laugh, but laugh, but you're, but you're right. You're exactly right. Right.
0: And I do. And I, and I say it like that because it makes them laugh and it makes them feel comfortable. Like, Okay, I'm not a bad person if I'm struggling this way, and you know we can we can laugh about it and know that because I'm sure you've seen this. People are afraid to report postpartum depression or anxiety because they're afraid that they're going to be labeled as a bad parent, or the extreme of people who've already been marginalized. They're afraid that child protective services is going oh to come and Oh their know. kid. I know, and so I and I say that I say this I, I explicitly say those things, and I say that it's super common, but it's treatable either with medicine, therapy, sleep, or all three. And I think that's the most important thing to highlight because it is the most common thing. And I do say, I, you know, postpartum psychosis thankfully is rare, but I say if you're hearing voices and it's not just you talking to yourself about how you wish you had more sleep, but you're hearing voices, and you know, and that might sound really silly, but it happens. It's that's a nine one one emergency call us. We'll help you. And I think those are the big things. And there's a really nice handout. I can't remember which nurses association. Maybe it's Awan that has the like, like the it's. I can't remember what it's called, but it's like the main things to call. And I think it summarizes all of those. And you put like your provider's phone number and it tells you when to call 911. And I think it's important because we treat people who give birth. I'm sure you've heard this too, like the wrapper of a candy. As soon as the candy's out, everybody likes the candy. They throw away the wrapper. We mm. need to stop throwing away the wrapper and realize that postpartum
1: patients. I love these analogies. I, I, I love them. <laughs> I'm like food, the like... coffee, <laughs> the candy. I know, you know me, I love analogies and I love video. And I'm like,
0: that's your next post leaves. Oh, there you go. That's your next. You can do that. You know, pick (laughs) your candy of choice, but I did not make that one up. I promise. I wish I did, (laughs) but it's true in this country, we get rid of it and people are obsessed with the baby and they forget about the person who gave birth and that person needs to be cared for too.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And offices are notoriously crappy at, you know, following up. They're like, okay, see you in six weeks what? Like I just had a watermelon, my vagina, my vulva, everything hurts. I'm leaking. I'm sweating. I can't sleep And just six weeks. No, thank you. Like, no. How do I get help before that?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I know. And also I just... Was seeing you once a week for all my I appointments guess. and now you're telling me I'm not to see you for six yeah, you're exactly. just gonna
0: break up with me like that. Like what did I do? Yeah. But yeah, that but for the baby, it's like every 10 minutes you're going in, right? Like for those checkups. So yeah. yeah, it needs to change. And I think we're working on it. A lot of it's tied to insurance reimbursement and the BS that is the American healthcare system. But
1: that's a whole other podcast episode. <laughs>
0: like as you know, obviously I work in a hospital, right? I'm yeah. a fan of hospital births. I I do that's what I do. But one of the most beautiful models about the home birth situation is that then they come to you for Mm -hmm. your postpartum visits and like they come the next day and it's just, I know. It's, it, we need to adopt some of those things in our care model.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Completely agree. Yeah. I was going to say too, before we on, move on to the next question, my hospital, what they have are these, they have these little magnets with mm. those things from A One. It, it yeah. might be, it might say A One at the top. I don't know. Yeah. But it has like signs to call your provider and then like the number yeah. to call and they just have, it's the hospital, but, but, right. you know, I'm sure you could put your primary practitioner's mm-hmm. number on there. But yeah, it's like a magnet that they give you yes. at discharge and it ha- like, okay, stick it on your fridge if you're having hey, it. I
0: love that. Cause I always say with you the know. discharge instructions, right. Which are 10,000 mm-hmm. pages. I'm like, stick this on your fridge, but yeah, a magnet that magnet. makes so much sense. Cause you're passing by it a hundred times a day. Okay. All right. I'll have to take that back to my hospital. I love that.
1: So we're going to be talking about elective inductions at 39 weeks. And this person just said, pros versus yeah. cons of possibly having an elective mm-hmm. an elective induction at 39 weeks.
0: Yeah. And I want to preface it by saying that all inductions are not created equal and all inductions are not evil because I feel like you end up on the which side of Instagram or TikTok and it's like yep. inductions are the devil and <gasps> you will have a c-section oh my yeah. god. And then the other ones which are like everybody can have an induction. It's all wonderful and beautiful and they're all totally benign. And as always, it's always like somewhere in the middle. And the reason this 39 week question, I imagine this person is asking because it's gotten a lot of play in the press the past couple of years after the ARRIVE trial, which I won't dive into it too much, but it basically said that inductions at 39 weeks were not associated with an increased risk of C-section. Actually, it was decreased, but it went from 22 to 19%. So I am unimpressed. Very small. (laughs) And (laughs) but it did, it did decrease the chance of issues that you would expect to see if somebody stays pregnant longer, like, you know, preeclampsia and other things like that, Mm -hmm. which is not the result of the induction itself. It's just the result that you're not pregnant (laughs) after 39 weeks. So when people ask me about this, I say, what are your concerns or what have you heard? Because then that helps to kind of focus it in. But the long and the short of it is that the idea that everybody should get an induction at 39 weeks and end up with a vaginal birth is not is not true that if you are thinking about one because of what you've heard from the Arrived trial, understand that it screened very specifically. It was there was a very strict protocol for how these inductions were carried out, and unfortunately, and I hate this, medicine is not practiced everywhere. Should it be? Yes, but especially in obstetrics, we don't have a ton of data. People have their preferences, which is again, mm-hmm. I realize I work in a bubble where we are very data driven. Probably like you, like we won't throw in the towel after 10 minutes because we're bored with an induction. We try all the things we leave. Yeah. Like we just, we just do our job other places. They're like, well, you've got 12 hours. And if you're not complete, then we have a C-section. And if your provider isn't like that, then no, putting that data and, and applying it to you is not going to apply. So I think it's important to understand that inductions for medical reasons absolutely have a purpose. The idea of what we call an elective induction, which is there's no reason other than you want to have one. I think it's an important, you need to have a discussion, a risk benefits discussion. And it varies if you've had six babies before and you're already five centimeters dilated or right. this is your first and you're you know, not dilated at all, lots of different things. So I think it's important to have an informed discussion, but either way, know that inductions are not good or bad. It just depends on the scenario. And I think it's important to know the expectations with inductions. Like when I counsel people, I'm like, this could take days, not because I'm trying to like make you feel bad, but understand that it could take days. And that's OK. It, that could be normal. Yeah. But if that's not something you're down for and it's an elective induction, then maybe we should wait till labor
1: starts. So. Yeah. Yeah. It I love complicated. It. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it. That's the answer to that question. Exactly. Yeah. I know. It's complicated. That's my Facebook status. Yeah. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. <Yep. laughs> All right, the sound of that baby crying means it's time for this week's segment of Birth It Up Babies. All right, this one says, I wanted to tell you how helpful your course was. And she sent a little heart emoji. Oh, (laughs) I purchased the course for my first pregnancy. My first birth was very traumatic. I was diagnosed with severe pre-E at 34 weeks. I was admitted at 34 and six for blood pressure monitoring. That night, my son was in distress and he was delivered via emergency C-section under general anesthesia. My husband had gone home for the night as they were just monitoring me and I called him as I was being wheeled into the OR to tell him I was having the baby. My second birth was amazing. My goal was to have an epidural free VBAC and I freaking did it. Go you. I felt so confident and excited going into this birth. My labor was so fast and I was able to do it with zero pain meds. I was admitted at 3 a.m. I was five centimeters and had my sun at 6 8 a.m. I knew exactly what to expect and I owe a lot of it to your course. I'm certain your course will help many more moms get the amazing experience I did. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much. Are you interested in birthing without an epidural? Did you know that simply wanting a natural birth isn't always enough? Many mamas fall into the trap of wanting a natural birth without fully preparing for a natural birth. And often that results in an epidural and plenty of disappointment. And girl, there is nothing wrong with having an epidural. Okay, let's be clear. But if your dream is to go natural, you need straightforward birth education so you know exactly what it takes. Birth It Up The Natural Series will help you feel and stay confident and in control during your unmedicated birth. It's simple. Access the class, erase the unknowns, and get ready to rock your natural birth. To learn more, head over to com slash birth. That's com slash birth. All right. So this next person wants to talk about lactation consultants. So she asked, How do you get the most out of your time with a lactation consultant in the hospital? I love that question. And I don't
0: me too. So I'm also an IBCLC or a board certified lactation consultant. And I I love that because I feel like as OBGYNs, we get very little training in residency, sadly. I think it's changing. Yeah. And I'm mentioning that because I think I, you know, I think it's important. And I think this is such a smart question. Like, how do I capture the attention of somebody who might have to round on 20 patients? <laughs>
1: yeah. Cause they usually do.
0: Yes. They usually do. And if it's on the weekends, like, Oh my God. And now with COVID shortages, like yep. I, sometimes I see our lactation consultant and I'm like, girl, are you okay? Like, what can I do for you? Do you need yeah. a coffee before you go
1: see them? Yes. Person? Yes. <laughs> They're always running around. They are like, yeah. Just blah, 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 blah.
0: yeah. Yeah. And I think what's important is, you know, and you want to like get the most that you can right? in the 20 minutes they may see you or the 30 minutes or whatever, whatever. And I think it's important when, when the lactation consultant comes in and, and you know, she's like, And, you know, you're like a hot mess and, you know, and you're like, I just need you to make it all okay. I think it's really good to ask right off the bat, how much time do you have with me? Mm. And will this be the only time I see you? Or will I also see you tomorrow? Because then you can kind of set up some ideas of like what you need to figure out now. And then also what's the follow-up plan like are does your OBGYN office have a lactation consultant there does your hospital like mine have a separate clinic that you automatically get scheduled into a day after discharge like what just so you know like how much do i feel like i need to absorb right now versus what we mm. can do later yeah and i think having you know your top one or two concerns can be really helpful like just just lead with it right because don't do the hand on the doorknob thing where you're like, Oh, and by the way, I had breast surgery and I, and just curious, just put it out there. So yeah. you might want to lead with, I'm having, I'm really concerned about latching on the left side. Okay. Let's focus with that. Or my mom was never able to breastfeed and I'm concerned about like Just throw it out there. Mm-hmm. And I think what's really great is if your partner's sleeping or at the cafeteria, like, please say like, I want my partner there or awake conscious so they can help because you're so busy. Like, doing all the things and trying to listen. And if you're like me, when you go to the doctor, you leave and you're like, wait, what did they say about mm-hmm. this? And having a partner who can like, oh no, honey, she said to hold it this way or whatever. I think that's really important. And I think just leaning on your lactation consultant to say, who do you recommend I follow up with postpartum? Because they know the community, the local community, mm-hmm. and they can say, oh yeah, schedule with this person or, oh yeah, you know, my patients who follow up in that office. So maybe you could try over here. Like they're nicely saying. Yeah because again, like all providers, not all lactation consultants are created equal. Right. So I think that could be really helpful. Breastfeeding. We could do a whole podcast just on that.
1: We have, it's just, there's so many, there's There's so many things I know. And I want you to know that when you leave the hospital,
0: it's okay to not feel like you've got it all down. Like we don't. Yeah you know, run marathons the second we start walking. So right. it's just like with breastfeeding, you're going to trip, you're going to fall, you're going to, you know, need to stop. Like you're going to need help. And that's normal. It's so normal. But again, knowing the warning signs of what is isn't normal can help you know when you need to contact somebody right away. Yeah. 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 And I mean, I I was on that side too, like of the other side where I was like, help me. Like I'm just topless. And I'm like, can you just, me and overwhelmed. And, you know, we all go through it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I know. Question for you. Were you no BGYN when you had your first baby yet?
0: so i was in residency i was okay. in my last year okay. i was miserable get i will tell you that, yeah that does first labor and the epidural that i had during that labor was the most relaxing time i had that entire oh. year because, like and
1: that's that's telling you something <laughs> it is telling you something yeah it is telling me something yes i know you guys it's like just are
0: wake me up when it's time to push i need to sleep and they're like we got you Jen. and it worked up her it was great <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. No, the reason why I ask is because I feel like this, every single, whether you're a labor and delivery nurse, OB- OBGYN, anybody, postpartum nurse, anybody, before you have kids, you can do all the education, I think you do all mm-hmm. the things. But like, once you're actually breastfeeding a baby, there's just so much that you just learn. And now you have so much more knowledge on it.
0: (laughs) And honestly, that's what happened because (laughs) I was breastfeeding my first and I was like, I don't know enough. I want to become an IBCLC. I want to be able to help people more. Yeah. And now I love it. I mean, you know, and it's not that you have to do that stuff to know, but yeah, you can walk in the room and you just like, I'm just like, okay, honey, let's just, can I, can I do this? Or you're doing great. Like, let me just give you reassurance. And it's not to say that people who don't have kids or don't breastfeed or guys, like yeah. there are so many fantastic male OBGYNs. I think that they are, they get it in a different way, but it definitely helps to have that experience and to say, I have been there with you, and we are going to make it to the other side. <laughs>
1: we are. Yes. Yes. Exactly. I have one more tip before we move on to the next question. Take yeah. videos. So, you mentioned oh, your partner. Yeah. yeah. So, I always tell people this regardless if it's a lactation consultant or it's your postpartum nurse coming in and, you know, doing umbilical cord care or giving baby bath or just like anything, have your partner be like, hey, partner, this is your, this is your role. Okay. You got to listen, but you also have to take videos so mm-hmm. I can watch the videos later yeah. when I need them. So yeah. it's better. I can refer back. And to- I
0: think that's a great, I think like, you you know, like, I know when people bring in pictures, they're like, this is what came out of my vagina. I'm like, thank yeah. you. It really helps. Um, I think that videos can be worth Like you said, like, yeah, because at 3am you're like, oh my goodness. Do just let them know you're videotaping because some people Correct. Be like, oh, my God, just don't put my face on it or whatever. Yeah. Correct. I think most people nowadays, like we're, we're fine. Like we're the TikTok. We don't care. care. Yes.
1: <laughs> don't, don't videotape and then post it on social media and get them in trouble or like anything like that. Right, right. But personal use, correct. Be like, yeah. hey, my brain is a pile of mess right now. And yeah. I'm not going to remember what you're saying. Do you mind if my partner yeah. just records what we're doing? They, no, I think it's a great idea. I think if you're, I think if you're anybody, you're going to be like, yeah, that's totally fine. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. Yeah. Well, this next one is on perineal massage. So, this person just wants to know what are your thoughts on perineal massage?
0: So, I, my thoughts are changing and I don't know if yours are too. Tell me because I follow evidence based birth. I love, love her, Rebecca Decker. And I, yes, I love, she recently, maybe in the past few months, she put out a new analysis of the data. So, just to back up, perineal massage is the idea that you're massaging the perineum. And there's kind of two different flavors. There's, the um, while you're pregnant. Mm-hmm. And then there's the while you're pushing. And mm-hmm. the goal of all of it is to decrease your risk of tearing. And I loved her reanalysis of the data of doing it in pregnancy, because we have said like, Oh, yeah, if you do this in pregnancy, it'll decrease your risk of tearing. And then she dove into the data more and found that the studies were kind of terrible. And some of them kind of look like they even falsified the data. So yuck. I don't like that. <laughs> and that sucks. So <laughs> if you want to read more into that, she goes into it beautifully. But I think that it's one of those things where I tell people that if you want to do it, have at it, it's not going to cause any harm, but do know that the way that it's described how to do it, it might not be the most comfortable. So if you find it uncomfortable, especially if you've got something like vaginismus or vulvodynia, you may not want to do it and understand that it's something that you can do or your partner can do. If it feels like it's another thing to do, or it makes you feel ashamed, even though it shouldn't, but if it does, like, if you skip it, do not think it means you're getting a horrible tear. This is not some exactly. magical intervention, that if you don't do it, like, oh my goodness, your vagina is going to explode. Right. And then when it comes to massage and labor, same thing, the data is somewhat, it's not super strong. It's totally fine to do. And some people will do it in between pushing, some people will do it with pushing. I think the key is that if your provider is doing it, I've seen people do what we call finger forceps, where they like put their fingers in and they like really yeah. shove down and yeah. That's Actually, cause worse tearing. Yeah, so it's important that first of all you consent to it,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: if it's uncomfortable, don't do it. And if your provider's doing it, you know, do it gently. I think warm, you know, warm pack to the the vulva.
1: Yes, you know,
0: in between pushing is great. But it's one of those things too that like it's not going to save the world it's not the answer to all our problems right it's great if you want to do it again if you skip it it doesn't mean that you're going to have a huge fourth degree tear so it's I, I think it's important to know because we tell so many people these just in caseisms especially women mm-hmm. and then we have all this guilt if we didn't do it and I don't want you to think that it's the end-all be-all to not having a laceration which for the most part most people will have it most people it's very minor we can repair it easily. We are no longer in the era of cutting episiotomies on everybody. So, you know, it's totally fine, but it's not like, it's not going to save the day. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. No, I love that answer. Cause that's, that's exactly right. It's more, when we talk about, I get the question a lot of like, what can I, I'm so afraid of tearing. Like, what Mm -hmm. can I do to like prevent? And, and we talk about, okay, there's this thing called perineal massage. Now, Mm -hmm. if you do it, it might help, but if exactly what you just said, like you don't, if it's like giving you so much pain that you, that you cringe at the thought of like doing it, like don't do it. It's fine. And also if you do it, you, you might still get a tear. So like, let me educate you about what the degrees of tears are and like what your percentage of getting this tear versus this tear? Like that's almost more important to talk about versus like, what can I actually do? You know?
0: Yeah. Cause what you see out there is like always the worst case scenarios, right? Correct. Like, like, Oh yeah, I had a second degree tear and it's fine. Like that's what most people get and I'm okay. And you only hear like the horror stories and yeah, which are real, but which are real. And it's they the have a baseline of how many people like on Yelp reviews, most of us only go on when something's horrible or amazing. And most of us in between are like, eh, you know. So it's all about the shirt down another the,
1: analogy, Yelp reviews. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love it. Got all, we've like, got <laughs>
1: Well, this next question is about massage as well but it's a little bit different massage it's about fundal massage so this person <laughs> wants to know very different completely different part of your body and just yes. yeah
0: and not at all about prenatal massage which i feel no. like should, everyone should get and they should be covered by insurance yes,
1: yes exactly we yes we see mm-hmm. eye to eye on a lot of things mm-hmm. <laughs> but yes this next one is about fundal massages so this person wants to know are they necessary after birth very nervous that it will be incredibly painful. Mm-hmm. And just what are your thoughts on that? So
0: I tell people fundal massage is a lie in two ways. It's not fun for a lot of people and it is not a massage. And I joke, <laughs> yeah. I say this must have been named by a male who never gave birth because it is the farthest thing from a massage then. Yes. 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 <laughs> and it it's sort of a misnomer. And so what it is is it's after birth after you've given birth. It's where we We basically push down on the top of your uterus with the goal that we're helping it contract down and i explain it to people because for the vast majority of human existence we used to give birth you know out in a field or in a cave and we didn't have life-saving medications and if you hemorrhaged you died and i also explain that the breast crawl which i love helping people see so this concept that you put your baby right up on you know on their skin to skin that if babies are left alone, they will crawl up to the breast because they can see that areola, that mm-hmm. contrast between dark and light. Mm-hmm. And when they're crawling up, they're actually doing fundal massage with their feet. Like we were actually designed to have this done by our babies.
1: That is cool. I never knew that was but but now that I think about it I'm like, oh. Yeah,
0: they totally do it. Maybe not as amazing as we do it, but it's yeah, okay. They're just bored, we're not mad at them. <laughs> so I do tell people I'm like, this is something, you know, I do recommend because bleeding sucks and if we can not get there that's awesome and sometimes the uterus does need a little help especially if you've been on pitocin you've had a 3 day induction yeah you pushed for 4 hours you've had twins i mean you're at a higher risk for hemorrhage yeah and i also tell people it's one of those things that gets more of a bad rap in reality you know right your friend always wants to tell you the scary thing or online and it's it's not that bad for most people i'm not trying to say that for some people it isn't it absolutely is and it's just we do it you know right afterwards sometimes we do it to help guide the placenta out and then you know like every 15 minutes or so yeah but it's important to know that you need to be able you can consent to it you can say that you don't want it done yeah. and if your, your nurse is doing it and you're like oh my god that hurts stop then they need to stop but it's also a different conversation if you're actively hemorrhaging and a leader is coming out of blood. And I'm saying, listen, I know this sucks, but is it okay if I keep going? Like, I'm very yeah. honest with that. Yeah. So it, yeah, it it can suck. And I, you know, it's one of those things that I do recommend. I also tell people that, you know, your uterus is going to continue to contract down. That's also not going to feel so hot, especially the more babies you have. Right. I don't know why Liesl, I don't know why the afterbirth pains are worse with each. I don't know. I don't know if the uterus is just like, I'm so good at this or I don't know. There's no data to support it, but it just kind of sucks. I don't know either. Ibuprofen is a girl's best friend or a person's best friend, mm-hmm. and yeah, I, I I also love. I recommend baby anesthesia if you're unmedicated. So looking at your beautiful baby, you know, a lot of times having a baby there and ama- seeing the amazing thing that you just did, yes, oftentimes helps with the discomfort of fundal massage or even a laceration repair. I mean, yes, we're using anesthesia for that, but yes. it can help. So yeah. It's brief it can kind of suck i i do think it's an important thing because i don't want you i don't want you to bleed it's
1: not fun bleeding and hemorrhaging is much worse than and then you can go get a postpartum massage after there all that. you go <laughs> there you go exactly love it yeah. well i have one more question for you so this one is about what this person says what opportunities For identifying and closing gaps in maternal care. Mm -hmm. What are your opinions on anything that we can do, maybe as healthcare providers, that we can help close that unfortunate gap that we have?
0: Yeah. And it's huge, right? Like the maternal
1: mortality crisis we have in the United States. We love to
0: think we're the best at healthcare. Although, hopefully, I hope more people are realizing that's a big lie. It is. But we have some of the highest rates and there's enormous racial disparities. And I think that. The fact that this person is even asking this question, I love them for that. I know, right? And I think as providers, I think we need to do is we need to be very honest and say, you know, what's our unit not doing well? There's always something that you can that you can fix. I know that for myself, something that really bothers me right now about all the issues with the abortion restrictions is we're now spending so much money and time fighting back with that. And we've already got enough things on our plates. And I always say the maternal mortality crisis is one of them. And now we're diverting attention to a very real problem with a problem that's now been artificially created and I hate it. Yeah. So I will say, I think that it's important to to really look with a very critical eye at your unit, not because you're trying to nitpick, but because we can always do better. And maybe it's something as simple as how you you know, what your policies are. Do you do routine drug screens for reasons that are really silly and stupid and are actually very racist? Do you, what is the language of your, of your educational materials? Is it only white people on your educational materials? What are the pictures that are up in your unit? And I'm obviously going more towards the racial situation here, because I think that's a huge one and a huge component, because when you look at the rates of people who have complications and dying childbirth, it is so much higher for BIPOC people and it's actually getting worse. I would love to do a shout out for the Team Birth Initiative. I don't know if you've yeah. heard about that, but I haven't. Yeah, it's so it's out of Ariadne Labs and it was started by Dr. Neil Shaw, who's an OBGYN. Basically, what they do is they did a ton of research to figure out why is it that some hospitals have very high C-section rates and others have very low section rates. And it's now morphed into more of the with a racial lens on top of it. But what they found was that mm-hmm. when people are not heard, shocking, they don't have as good outcomes. So it's literally the whole concept of this team birth initiative is that it implements the idea of huddles and having a whiteboard in the room, which isn't the typical whiteboard of like, do you want the vaccine, my baby's doctor, but it's, what are your concerns? What are your desires? What questions do you have? It centers the patient. And I love that. And we just rolled it out in my hospital a few weeks ago, and I've already, I've really enjoyed it. Cool. So they go, you know, I mean, yes, it's an initiative and you have to pay for it, but if you just go to their website and just see how you can center patients, I think that's the key because what we do every day might feel routine to us, but it's an enormous thing in every person who's giving birth in their life and birth is beautiful and pregnancy is beautiful. It's also one of the most dangerous things we can do, Mm -hmm. especially if you're black or brown. So how do we make it safer for our patients who deserve that? Mm -hmm. They deserve that in the United States where we say that we have the best healthcare. And in some ways we do, but when you can't access it, you don't. And that may feel really crazy and overwhelming. Like, I'm like, I can't do all that, but you can do little things. You can do little things every day. And one thing that I do every day is I do something called an implicit bias check, where if I'm going into a room and somebody looks different than me, I'm like, okay, let me just pause and be like if this person looked like me, would I do the same thing? And Mm. for people who feel like I'm not racist, we all have biases and that's, it's not your fault. It's just how we've been raised. Yeah. Just even pausing and doing that check. Super important because black and brown people come to our hospitals every day, afraid of people who have my skin color because they feel that they are not going to be listened to. And we have to make that we have to make a change because people are literally dying because of it.
1: Yeah. Oh, I love that. That is just such a good way to. And it's kind of a sad question, but like it's it's so so important to talk about.
0: Yeah, it's so important and I think that yeah, we can do little things along the way. Even just thinking, "Ooh, could I have said that better?" or and it's not about calling people out and being like, I can't believe you said that to her. Like, yeah. there's ways that you can do it. And I've seen some really nice changes on our unit um, in the past couple of years where we've started to do this work. And it's fun to see people come along, you know, who are yeah. really not so into it, who are like so proud. They're like, I used this word today. I'm like,
1: oh, yeah. no, you did it. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Oh, well, it was so lovely to talk to you today. This is such a fabulous episode. We covered so much stuff. Like look at us. I know. I feel like we should get CME for this. People I, know, it. I-, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Can you remind our listeners where they can find you on the interwebs? Yeah. So I'm at Dr. Jennifer Lincoln, pretty much everywhere. Instagram, TikTok, also on
0: Twitter, but I kind of hate Twitter yeah. and YouTube. And also, so you can find me on all those channels. You can also, if you are interested in buying my book, let's talk about down there. It's available at Amazon, but also like go check your local bookstore for <laughs> if you need our help. And that's a book that's really, it's like my TikToks in book form. Great for like older teens all the way up. It talks about all the things that you wanted to know, but you were too embarrassed to ask from periods to birth control, to care down there. Heavily illustrated, inclusive language, super fun. Aww. And yeah, I think that's that's about it.
1: Awesome. Awesome. I'm we'll we'll right? link. Yeah. I mean, hey, <laughs> yes. But no. <laughs> we will link all of your links in the show notes page for people to check out. And we'll link your book too if people want to check out your book. Thank you so much for joining me today. This was fabulous. Oh, thanks for
0: having me, Liesel. You're amazing. I love what you're doing. And everybody should follow you too. I oh, love following thanks. your posts and telling people <laughs> about you. Thank you. <laughs>
1: All right, guys, that wraps up this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and letting me be a part of your motherhood journey. It is truly an honor. If you like what you heard, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And I love hearing what you guys think of the podcast. So if you're liking what you hear or you have a suggestion, I'd be so grateful if you'd go ahead and leave me a review wherever you're listening to help more mamas just like you find the show. What do you think? Are you starting to feel a little more confident about your pregnancy and birth? Well, if you want more, be sure to head on over to mommylabornurse.com slash podcast for today's show notes and a library of episodes so you can keep getting educated before your upcoming birth. And while you're over there, be sure to check out the blog and learn about our online birth classes. Find it all and more over at mommylabornurse.com podcast. See you next week. Same time, same place.